hello and welcome back to the Live to Give podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us on this day, whatever day it happens to be for you. For us, today is Sunday. It's Sunday morning, which is Mm -hmm. abnormal for us. Um, Oh, my name is Jacob. For those who don't know, my name is Jacob. I'm the producer here. And with me, I have my host. I'm talking very fast. Coffee. (laughs) It's great. Uh, We have our hosts, Nate, Evan, and Courtney. How are we doing this morning, guys? Good. I just want to say right up front, great job on the intro. Oh, thank you so much. There's a lot to think through. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people in the room right now are thinking, what in the world are we doing? Okay? Right. That's totally fair. This mm-hmm. is different. It's different for a good... Like, we're already distracted when we record this in general. Now we get to see beautiful faces, and we get to see lights, and we get to be distracted all Absolutely. over. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, for our listeners, um, it's Sunday morning. Those of you who were not here in person... Um, we're doing a live podcast recording for our service this week, and we're very excited about it. We're going to talk through Acts chapter 3. Um, just for those of you listening online, that's what's happening. We have an audience with us, and we're excited that, mm-hmm. that you are here. Thanks for joining. It's also just a good Sunday because it's beautiful. Uh, it yeah. is beautiful. It has been beautiful these last few days, and it's a great Sunday for an F1 race. <laughs> Any F1 fans out there? I see one right, hand I raised. See one. I see that hand. No, uh, just us two. Okay, okay never mind. Nice. It's also a great never Sunday mind. for golf. Oh, Any yeah. golf fans out there? Golf? Yeah, anyone? Golf? Oh, like, oh, I see that hand. Oh, I see that hand. I see that. More golf fans. All right. Nice. That's for sure. Yeah, Raise your good. hand if golf makes you upset. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, there's a lot of fans. There's a lot of fans there. Wait, he plays golf and it makes him upset. (laughs) Yeah, the same. That's usually the combination. Oh, true, true, true. You're not playing golf if it doesn't make you upset. Yeah. Have you broken a, what do they call? No, they're too expensive. I'm too cheap. I'm not broke a club. I've thought about it. Like tennis players, they get really angry. Yeah, no. I know people that have. I do that while preaching. (laughs) You break clubs? With the mic. Oh, and I get mad. I just chuck the mic on. Oh, that poor mic. Yeah. That's tragic. Yeah. Anyways. So anyway, it's beautiful out, and it's Sunday, <laughs> to recap. <laughs> Anyways. Anywho, as well, Nate likes to say. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah. So today, we are talking about Acts chapter 3, 11 through 26. Um, so as we dive in, I'm just going to talk, I'm going to read the passage. Um, it's going to be on the screen for those of you in person. Um, I'm going to read the passage, and then we're just going to start to discuss things that we see, themes that we find interesting, those kinds of things. And yeah, ready? Ready? Let's go. All right, here we go. Chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, 11 through 26. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them. Oh, the man that we're talking about here is the lame man who was healed. We talked about the guy last week. But Peter and John, silver and gold I have not, but I do have healing. So he healed him. Sorry, moving forward. While the man held on to Peter and John... All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that our murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. 
Um, so, what um, kind of themes do we see in this? Uh, did you want to kick us off, Evan? Yeah, sure. Uh, one of the first things that really struck a chord with me in this uh, group of passages, my phone would unlock. It won't recognize my face. Like <laughs> um, but no, in, in verse 12, I read from the NLT version of, uh, of Scripture. Verse 12 uh, in my translation says, And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power and godliness? Uh, I, I think in that moment for Peter and John, it would have been so easy for them to lean into their ego in that moment, to, to say, yes, it was so great of us and what we just did and healed uh, that person. And, and unfortunately, um, this, this, this ego has taken some root within the Christian culture, within church world. Um, there have been podcast after podcast with in, uh, investigations into pastors, into church leaders because of their ego, because they allow people to respond to their messages, to miracles, to whatever it might be with, yeah, I am that great. I, I work so hard at what I do, and that's why this person was healed, rather than just leaning into the fact that it is Jesus who healed that, that person. I mean, the first thing that these guys do after healing this beggar is turn it to Jesus. He immediately say, why stare at us as if it's me or John who did this? No, Jesus did this. And I think we need more of that within our, our church world, within church leadership, mm -hmm. is to back off our egos as much as possible mm -hmm. and say, no, it's Jesus. Immediately our response needs to be Jesus. I, I have seen it and I have friends who, who live in it where it's so easy for us pastors to eat up the attention that we get from you all, truly. When we preach and you come and tell us how great of a sermon it was or something like that, for a pastor, that truly can feel like a drug. And we can crave it. And we want more. We want more people to come up and tell us how great we did and how great our power is. And we as pastors, as any type of church leaders, you, if you work within any type of ministry, turn it to Jesus immediately. That's how you check your ego. They kick us off. Yeah. <laughs> Great point. And With now we're going to get no positive <laughs> feedback from this now either. Right, like, that right, was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, so please tell me how great that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good choices. It is so true. I was just having a discussion with somebody at lunch just like last week about this. Uh, we were talking about just church leadership in general, and there was a specific instance that this person had come across uh, with a church leader, and it was just a very high ego, like person that was just so egocentrical and even maybe a little bit narcissistic. And I was like, you know what, though? That is sad because it happens so much in the church. Yeah. And she was completely taken aback by that. She was like, in the church? Like, people are like that? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, like, that's so sweet that you missed that. Yeah. But it is so common in pastors and church leaders because of what Evan was saying. Like, it is almost like a, a drug type of a thing. Um, but it, it's not necessarily that the person is set out like, oh, I have a great ego. I think I'm amazing, so I'm going to lead this church. It's a slow thing that happens, uh, that they kind of lose sight of almost why do they do what they do? Why do we do what we do? Um, and it's something, I mean, I see it in myself from time to time, and not so much necessarily that I think that, like, I'm amazing, but more of, like, um, I'm only two years into this whole, like, being on stage and preaching mm. piece. Uh, I find myself looking at other people who are pastors in bigger churches who are doing well or really great communicators and being like, ooh, I want to be more like them, or how can I be more like that? Instead of being like, how can I be more like Jesus? Because yeah. that's really where it should be, is if I'm emulating Jesus, that's all that matters, and that's more power and more communication, more everything. It's not about me at all. And so it is this little battle that happens inside, for me at least, too, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I started a book called, uh, what is it called, When Narcissism Comes to Church. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting so far. But uh, as I was talking through some of the traits of a narcissist, I was like, I need to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> It's so easy, so, so, so easy to really fall into. And I think, I think uh, when I was a kid or when I was a teenager, I definitely, I probably was a narcissist. But it was probably because I was growing, like growing into adulthood, um, which is part of growing up, I think, a little bit. But, um, but just it's so interesting to see like how almost insidious that sense of self and sense of success 
can really be damaging. Um, like I think of even in the world, like even not in church, but just successful people, like traditionally successful people, take like um, like James Corden, for example. He's been in the news a lot lately, but how he like is super nice person on camera and really kind and whatever. But then you hear stories of him cussing out waiters and like being awful to off camera. And so like, obviously we can't know what people are actually like on camera, off camera or whatever, but just like success has warped his view of himself so much that he thinks he's, he, it's okay to treat people like that. <laughs> it's just crazy how like one of the, I've been thinking too, like one of the most dangerous things is success which is really backwards in the world sense of, like, what is good. If that makes any sense. <laughs> was, yes, it does. I was listening to an a interview recently with an a up-and-coming comic. This oh. comedian um, has made it big recently, and he was just asked this question, what's, what's different in your life now having a lot more money? Because um, mm. he's, I think, the number one touring comic right now. And he said, uh, his response was this, when I got more money... I, I was able to get more options. And so if you think about that, like if there's a wealth of empire like that we have, there's always going to be options. How can we ever find humility in that? If no matter where we're at, there's always an option for comfort, no matter what, that's really difficult to like harness an ego in, you know? I never thought about it that way. So like, even in America, how many options we have. Mm -hmm. If we want coffee, how many options are there? All it takes is this money in order to make those options. And so for the church, and when we talk about healing, and we talk about life change, and we see uh, Peter and John heal somebody, our immediate response is how? Instead of mm -hmm. worship. Instead of saying, I, I want to praise God in this moment because something supernatural beyond our options, is happening, and it's making a difference. It's changed this person's life. They are now healed. And it's, it's just hard for us to take all that in, I think, at times. And the one big ingredient that gets in the way is ego. Yeah. So many times, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking, Nate, as you were talking, uh, so you have Peter and John who have walked with Jesus, right? They've seen so many things. They are in the inner circle, Jesus is now gone, and now they're doing incredible miracles. Like, they just healed a guy who's not been able to walk since birth for over 40 years, and they heal him. And the people first come to them, and they're like, the first question is that, how? How? Mm -hmm. And I love, in the NIV, it says, like, Peter's first thing that he says is, why does this surprise you? Yeah. Kind of like, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> like, why is that the question that you would first ask? Obviously, it's Jesus still. So here's two people that could be, like, superstars right. in the Jewish culture at the time, and yet they're like, whoa, it's not about me at all. Why does this even surprise you? Why are you asking how? And he dives into the power of Jesus in the next four or five verses. I'm like, this is all about him. This is not about us at all. Like, I love that that is his first thing. Like, why are you even asking me how? I'm not even going to give that the time of day. Let's move on from that. <laughs> like, yeah. I love that. I think, um, I think it's, it's, I don't know, that, that takes some, I don't know, I'm just thinking through, like, putting myself in a situation where, like, I literally just told this cripple, oops, told this cripple to stand up, and he stands up, and, like, to actually see that happen, and to, um, like, what that would feel like as Peter or John, like, what, how incredible would that, <laughs> would that feel, but then immediately they go from physical miraculous healing to seeing, look at all these people who are who like heard about this. They see this. They're here. There's a crowd, and then Peter says, "Oh, I need to speak to these people." He like makes a choice to follow Holy Spirit and not be uncomfortable, mm -hmm. and then not. I don't know. I just think that's that's the real strength of character. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> well, I mean, let alone, I mean, yeah, sure. There's that miracle, but I feel like after that, I would just be like, "Great, um, I'm gonna." I got a place to be because there's a lot of people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I don't know. That's just that just seems wild to me. Yeah, I think we can ex expand that a bit more too, and say like any moment that we get to praise God with, we should step into. Mm. So like, it doesn't have to be just the moments where you make someone walk. Like that's, you know, like, <laughs> it happens I, quite hey, often. If that happens, and yeah. you walk, and you're able to help people with that miracle. Great. Like, let's talk. 
we need to get that on film and talk about it. <laughs> but, but it's like, hey, if you help someone put their cart away in the parking lot, like, turn that around to Jesus if you can. You don't need to be weird and be like, I'm doing this because of Jesus. Like, but, but, like, in a natural way, like, don't immediately just be like, man, I'm so great. I get to put this person's shopping cart away. No, like, like just praise God for it and move on. That's what Peter and uh, John did right here. They didn't sit in and be like, I am so great. You want to know how? Because I read my Bible three hours a day. Like, oh. they didn't jump right into that, right? Like, like, he just said, no, it's about Jesus. Jesus loves this man. And he yeah. helped him. Um, I want to take a step back real quick. Somebody has a very good question, and I find it very fascinating. Great. Um, so take it, well, we were talking about narcissistic leadership and, and um, pointing to Jesus, all these kinds of thoughts. So the question is, how can the congregation help or support church leaders that are narcissistic? I think uh, make sure you tell us how bad we do. Yes. Yeah. Just yeah. as often as how good. <laughs> so how can a congregation help? Help a narcissistic leader. Judgment works. No, I'm just <laughs> wow. So helpful. <laughs> I think that's a really hard question. Because it is. It's a good question. It is a great question. But I think it's a really hard question because I was, I've, been, I've been really fascinated with narcissism. So I'm reading this book, and I've, I've listened to some other videos of some people talking about narcissism. And everybody that I've listened to, when they're like, so like, should I, should I confront the narcissist? Should I tell them they're a narcissist? And they're like, no, 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 no. Do not do that to a narcissist, like a true narcissist, because they are going to become defensive. They're going to turn it back onto you and make you feel crazy, make you feel like you're in the wrong, and it's, it's like it becomes a whole thing. So like... There's that part that's like practical, practical, but then there's also in my mind the spiritual part where like this person, like narcissism is derived. I'm learning from shame and guilt, like or or even anxiety. Like different um, narcissism can come out in different ways because of shame, because of anxiety, and so when we start to see the root of this behavior. We, I think there's some empathy there. And so I think it starts with empathy at the beginning and compassion and recognizing that this person is behaving in horrible ways and hurting so many people, but it's because they're deeply, deeply wounded. And so I, I don't know what to do with that, <laughs> to be honest. But, I mean, that's, I feel like for me, that's kind of the beginning. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's a conundrum in itself. It, yeah, it is. There's not a... A perfect answer or a solution to it, yeah. but I think what really I think what we are craving and what we're seeing more today than ever before within the church is this hunger for authenticity, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's both the responsibility of the leader and the congregation to create safe place. Um, I think there's a problem within pastors where we are unwilling to be honest with where we really are. Um, because there's shame in that. Mm. Maybe I don't have all the answers. Um, Maybe I am weak. You know, maybe I have problems. And when you're on the platform, all you see is uh, how well I shaved, you know, (laughs) how well I cleaned myself. Like, like, honestly, this, you're seeing the polished version. And I can be as authentic as possible in those moments or try my best to be, but there's still a gap. Mm. And so I think for so long, we've, we've held up the ability for a leader to get too far ahead and making that like what we celebrate more than anything, if they know it all, if they have all the answers, that's, that's the acid test for a good leader. But what happened to love? You know, like that's the part. I feel like if it's a loving relationship with a pastor and congregation, what needs to happen is their acceptance on both sides. Nobody's perfect. And if we embrace that, man, walls, I feel like, actually start breaking down instead of realizing what do we need to do to figure out what's next. I think so, so many of us right now are waiting. We want to be inspired by God right now, like desperately want to be inspired with something new. We want to see a fresh vision. We want to see something that's going to take our breath away. And I feel like every moment the sun rises is that. Yeah. You know, like every moment that sun sets and the way God is taking care of us we're in the middle of a war and we're still worshiping. We're still gathering. We're still talking. Like 
there's so many things that God is sustaining us with. And man, I'm opening up. I'm, I'm preaching, okay? But here's the thing. <laughs> That's what scripture does. When we take a moment to talk about scripture, when we actually voice our opinion in a communal sense, God does something. God's doing something right now. That's why when we look at this without a celebrity status, that's why we don't do sermon. Or we're, we're trying our best not to hold the sermon yeah. as the best piece of church mm-hmm. because for so, far too long we've done that. You know what the best piece of church is? Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's never going to change. But we have to reorient that, and we have to talk about it. We have to be open. I don't know. I'm going on a rant. Here, I okay? love it. Bring it back. <laughs> Yeah, you can stand on your soapbox all day long. It's a I big soapbox. <laughs> I don't mind at all. <laughs> well, I think it, it kind of sets up the overall theme of the, these passages, and that's around healing. Yeah. I think God has positioned Faith Church in such a way, especially yes. over since pandemic, uh, to be a, a safe place of vulnerability, a place where people can truly come with their questions, concerns, uh, about church, whatever it may be, and feel like, oh, this is a place where I can voice that, where I can be heard and not feel immediately like I'm being attacked back. And I think the more we create that space, the less ego we allow in here. That it's a safe place to even check our ego, both from your guys' perspective as a congregation and ours as the uh, staff of the church. Like, and the more we create a space where we can be honest and be vulnerable and not hold church leaders up to or on a pedestal yeah. and allow Kirk to say dumb stuff. On <laughs> <Sunday Yeah. laughs> but the more we allow people to step off of that pedestal sure. and be their true authentic self in that moment, mm. that creates space for healing, space for, for people listening to heal, people who are preaching to heal. It creates healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we're all, whether we can put it to words or, or actually say it, we're moving, we want healing. You know, like we're all on the path for healing. Yeah. And I feel like this passage brings it out, and I don't want to jump ahead or anything, but there's a phrase that has stuck with me, restoring of all things. Yeah. The, the restoring of all things. I, I think one part um, that we look for a lot is those moments where it's only God. Only God could do this. There's only, the only way this could happen is if God comes through. And that's the peace with the restoration of all things. When God restores all things, it can only be God that does that. God has the power, the supernatural power to restore. So even in that word, res- restoration, like I can feel it. I can't wait for what that looks like. And we may not even understand what that all is about. But the fact is, it requires Jesus. It requires his supernatural power, the same power that conquered death. And the cool thing with Acts is Acts is bringing all of this together. It's the prophets. The prophets even talked about this. The Old Testament talked about this. Oral traditions talked about this. Uh, Sadducees, Pharisees, all of these people were talking about this, whether they knew it or not, because the culmination, the right timing of all things is always on God's radar. It's God. And it requires this supernatural peace. And I feel like Acts is grounding us back into that. It's God. It's Jesus. That's what changes things. I don't know. Yeah, I think um, from from this, I think the the healing of the lame man, for me, it becomes an image of us when we come to God. Like, that is the gospel. The man was broken, and now he is whole. Like, that is restoration. That is healing. That is that is the gospel. And so I love that, like, we have so many stories and so much, uh, not just even in the Bible, but just even our own stories, our own life stories, our friends' stories, our family stories. And it's these stories of hope, these stories of redemption, these stories of healing, these stories of, of resurrection. And Jesus died on the cross. He was rose again. That is the gospel. We, we were dead, and now we are alive. This person was broken, and now he is healed and like that, oh, it's so beautiful because there is so much hope in that story because it's the story of the world. It's the story mm-hmm. of all creation. And um, that's just so beautiful to me. And so I think that that story is told over and over and over and over, even in our own media, even in our movies, in our TV shows, in our songs, in our art. It's a story of restoration and it's a story of healing 
that is the most impactful because it's the most true. And what a beautiful picture of the gospel it is, especially when you take into consideration that this lame beggar never apologized. Yeah. He never yeah. he never said like, oh, you are the son of God, now heal me. Like, like he was just begging. Yeah. And Peter and John said, we don't have gold and silver, but I'll heal you. Mm-hmm. And like what a picture of gospel that is, that, that we don't need to come ready with our, you know, letter that of, of apology and hand that to God. But sometimes, man, he's just there and wants to heal you and wants to give you grace and wants to give you that peace, whether you ask for it or not. Brain break time or? Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's a little early, but we Is can. it? Fine. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you kill me. That's so funny. Are we brain breaking or no? Because I can keep going here. Oh, yeah. go. She's okay. Go. Go, right. go, 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 go. <laughs> or we can, whatever. No, All no, right. no. Go. Uh, no, I was just going to say, too, uh, as Nate was talking about, like, just the entirety of it all with the prophets and just from the beginning of time that brings it all together. And Jacob was echoing mm. that as well. Um, I'll be honest, when I first was uh, looking at this passage, so Kirk, we're going through the book of Acts, right? It's going to take a while. He has it all plotted out. Uh, and he had, like, his first break was this passage of Scripture that he just wrote in there, like, staff is taking this one. And I looked at the passage, and I read it, and I was like, Kirk, are you kidding me right now? Because uh, he got to teach the whole story about, like, the lame person walking, this miracle, and it's like, yeah! And then it goes to Peter giving, like, a lecture. And I was like, seriously, Kirk, that's what you're giving the staff? Like, yeah. <laughs> boring, like, come on. And so, honestly, with this whole thing, I was, like, reading through it, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I know I've read this before, but this is not exciting stuff. But then as I started, like, sitting in it and reading through it and really, like, looking at it, I'm like, man, there's so much in here. There's so much power, the power of Jesus. There's so much going from the prophets. And Peter goes on this thing about, like, even going back to where he calls Jesus the author of life. Yeah. He's tying in Genesis. He's saying yeah. Jesus was there at the very, very beginning. And he's talking to the Jewish people. And he's going, guys, everything that you've read in the, the Bible as they knew it, our Old Testament, is all tied together. And it all points to Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's a very cool thing to see how this, like, all is why we do what we do. Yeah. Why are we here? Why do we do this? And Peter's going, it's because of Jesus. And that's just one of the cool themes in it for me, even of just seeing how he goes into this piece of like, you guys see this is the Messiah. You've been taught it since you could like walk. Jesus was that person, and that is who we are now. We now have that Holy Spirit and that power because of him. And I just I love that piece of it. And there's a few other things we'll get into more later too. But this passage, I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is actually really good. <laughs> like, not not to downplay the Bible at all, but like right. Yeah, just kind of blown away by, man, even in this little mini sermon that Peter gave. Because uh, if you remember, too, Peter, uh, like, after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit first came and, like, was with the disciples and stuff, and they're speaking in different languages, Peter gets up and gives a sermon. Right. And we're literally only two chapters later, and here's Peter with another sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're very similar, <laughs> uh, but it's so good because it's not about Peter. It's all about Jesus. Yeah. It's just a very cool thing. Um, we, before we go to brain break, I think this is a really, this is a great question. Um, it is a challenging question, just so we know. <laughs> Bring it. But, um, so we're talking about, like, the healing, and there's so much hope, and this redemption, and pointing to Jesus, and all that. But, someone asked, what do we do with the times when God chooses not to heal? That's, that is a heavy question, truly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like even hearing that, yeah, you feel you yeah. feel that question. Yeah, that's that's the hard part. I mm-hmm. feel like it's not so much about the answer; it's about what we do when our expectations aren't met. And our expectations, when it comes to faith, yeah. should be kind of limitless, you know. So then, what happens when we come close, like face first? to a limit, or something didn't happen. Um, I can remember when my uh, grandpa got cancer, and we were praying. Like, it was, we had the pastor out, we had everybody. The whole family was there praying for him to be healed. 
And in the same moment, we're in this living room watching him pass away. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not, that's not kid faith. Mm. You're getting thrown into a deep end. But I feel like when we go into a deep end <laughs> of life, what we end up is, man, we, we still come face to face with a limitless God. There, there's no limit to God. There's no limit to his grace. There's no limit to his power. There's no limit there. And so regardless of how we're feeling or how broken we are because this expectation was not met, met mm. there's still hope. That's what makes it faith. And so like even in this paradigm, how we live, when someone is not healed, man, do we really understand the depth of that? I don't. Because I do agree there is healing on a soul level mm. and then there's also a healing on a physical level. And I'm praising God for anyone who walks into heaven, regardless how they pass. I'm still praising God that he is still changing lives and people are still going to heaven, if you will. And so that's where I I go to when I hear questions like that. But it breaks me open because it's so difficult. You can't help but to suffer through a question like that. Yeah, I think... I don't know if this is helpful. I'll say it anyway. (laughs) And if it's not, then it's not for you. Um, (laughs) But something that was helpful for me when I was in Bible school, something one of my professors, we talked about this question. We talked about it theologically in one of our classes. And something that was helpful for me to think through was there's a difference between um, when us seeking a cure and us seeking healing or wholeness or, or physical healing no, yeah, or healing in general. So, like, sometimes we're hoping, we're hoping for a cure. We're hoping and praying and believing for a physical cure. But um, as we know, it doesn't always happen. And so, but what does always happen, I believe, is healing happens, whether it be physical, whether it be soul, whether it be eventually, I mean, I mean, this is the hope that we have in Christ is that at the end of times, when we the world is done, like the God is going to heal, truly heal the earth, truly heal all things. So eventually, healing will occur. It just might not look like a cure right now, which is tragic, absolutely tragic, and absolutely heart-wrenching. Um, and so I don't know if that's helpful at all. At the time, it was helpful for me to think through, but just interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't have an actual answer for you other than just yeah. personal experience. But my dad died a little over a year ago in August. He went in for a routine heart cath. It was like his uh, seventh one, maybe. And so we didn't think much of it. Um, and he had a heart attack while on the table on a Friday. And then uh, a week passed. He was in coma. And then so on that Sunday, I was actually on my way to church. I get a phone call from my sister who got off the phone with the doctor. And the doctor said, hey, we know your dad only had a 10% chance to live, but it's up to 80% chance now. He had such a great um, day, all that type stuff. And so, man, we really got our hope up that uh, here's a miracle coming. and He's going to kick this. And then two days later on a Tuesday morning, I get a phone call from my sister saying, hey, uh, dad went back downhill, and we need you to come to the hospital this afternoon because we're going to make the decision to pull the plug. I don't know what healing looks like mm. through all of that. I get the typical church answer, yeah. which is he's healed now because he's in heaven, and I love that. Praise God for that. Salvation and what Jesus did on the cross has never meant more to me today than uh, it, it, it ever has, and it's because my dad is in heaven with Jesus. The healing, how I view it through all of that, because he did not get healed in the way I wanted him to, um, and I begged God for that, and I actually thought it was going to happen. Here's what I know about healing since then. Is that although my dad didn't get healed in the way that I wanted it, um, God began to heal me in ways that were unexpected. Uh, 
both in areas around my relationship with my dad, but also in just my own personal life. Um, one area for me that I really believe God healed and is still working through is just compassion. Mm. Um, that is something that within me was unlocked when my dad passed. Um, something within me that God has just healed. And so I don't know if that answers the question, whoever submitted that around um, healing and when it doesn't take place. But what I do know is that it can surprise you in other ways. Healing can. And that's a way through my dad not being healed and knowing that God has healed me. Yeah. Any comments? No? Um, one last question before we move on. Um, I think to bring us up just a little bit is, is, is feeling, somebody asked, is feeling anger with God during the healing process something everyone experiences? I think, I don't, obviously I don't know, but. I think it's normal. I think anger with God is normal. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you see it in scripture. Yeah, mm -hmm. David. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, I think sitting in the anger, if you allow that anger to take root and permeate, or even if it's taken up space in your home all of a sudden, man, that, that's when you have anger with God. Mm. That is the anger with God. But I think that takes place more by not talking about it, by not expressing it. Yeah. By packing it down, I think that's when anger and stuff like that happens. Root. Mm. Anger can also be safety. What do you mean by that? That may, that may sound funny, but anger in itself uh, can be pretty bottom line. So anger in itself can create a protection from you getting deeper. It's a safeguard. Um, anger can be a place where we utilize uh, for me especially, I can utilize anger in a sense that I don't have to deal with anything else. And when you're angry, you have a really narrow view. So if you're angry, you can get pretty bottom line about something and not have to deal with the emotional side of things. And so for me, I find safety at times with anger when it's something deep. And so I feel like anger can really, um, it's a helpful thing, but it also can be a hindrance. Um, especially in grief, especially within trauma, um, because actually there's something um, miraculous when it comes to sadness. Like if you really want to know what washes away anger, it's sadness. But when there's something protecting you from getting there, it's really, really hard. And so we can be very complex around a lot of this, and especially around emotions. And so for us, or for me, I feel like it starts with just talking, opening up. And, and I feel like if we've seen anything today, the church needs to open up more. Mm. We've gone through a ton. We're still going through so much. And just by opening up, man, there brings so much. And I know like today feels different. I know today with a podcast, it feels like this is just weird in some ways. <laughs> but it's also highly relational. Stuff like this brings us together. Mm. There's things that we're sharing that you may not have any idea that we're going through or things that we processed or how we're thinking. And so this is more the picture of the church, being open and being honest with where we are with Christ. I don't know. I'm going on tangents again. <laughs> Getting distracted by all the faces. <laughs> oh, I'm a fan. Did you, are you yeah, were about would, to say something. My yeah. first thought was with that question mm -hmm. of, like, I think the anger, it is very normal. And yeah. it comes from uh, our limit limited minds of mm. not understanding God and not understanding maybe the bigger picture because we don't get it. And so there is this instant of like anger at God, but it's also this inability to understand like what is happening and why. Um, that was my first thought. Mm. But then as Nate was talking to, um, so I've, I've been in therapy for a little bit now. Uh, it's Proud awful. I'm an Enneagram seven, so I do not like emotion. So <laughs> therapy is the worst. Uh, it's fun though. But fun. it's not fun. No fun <laughs> at all. Uh, it's good. They tell me. Uh, but <laughs> but in it, uh, I was telling him that I was like, I have more anger than I've ever had in my entire life. Like mm. I never had anger before, and now it's one of my forefront emotions. And I'm like, I don't like that. I don't know what to do with it. And he told me he was like. Anger in and of itself is not bad. Mm. Like, that is not what you keep saying. It's a negative thing. It's not a negative thing. And then another point, he interrupted me, and he was like, Courtney, that's your grief talking. Like, your anger, it's your grief. 
And I haven't had somebody pass, but I have had a lot of grief in different ways happen in my life. And so I've been processing through this anger thing a little more of like, wow, that is, it's, it is a natural response mm-hmm. in it. Um, and then I, what do you do with it from there mm-hmm. is the sadness and, really, and, and being honest and open and realizing you're not alone in mm-hmm. it. Like you are not alone in that emotion of anger, in that emotion of sadness and whatever it might be. And it's okay to talk about it because we are all humans trying yeah. to figure this out. And some of us might have more theology background or whatever. Who cares? Like, our emotions are still there, and we're still feeling it, and we are yeah. in it together. Yeah. That's good. Well, brain break? Brain break. Sounds great to me. Big brain break. All right, friends, now's the time. We need a question. Someone yell a silly question out that we can answer for you. Oh. Ooh, I like where this is going. <laughs> Answered the second one before. Yeah, yeah, we have. have. In like a previous. Yeah, and yeah, I feel strongly still about that question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the question was for our listeners: was if animals could talk, which one would be the rudest? But besides cats, because we know they would. Because they 100%. It would be cats. Cats would be so rude. Yes, which would be the rudest? Interesting. I've never pet something that will also attack you. True. Cats. Rudest. Rudest animal. Easy. Go for it. Hyenas. Oh. oh. They laugh at you for everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you seen Lion King? Yeah. I know. You try to be serious yeah, in okay. a serious moment, they just laugh at you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's hyenas. They are yeah. rude. <laughs> I was going to say ostriches. Oh. They hide. Yeah, but they are mean. But they're mean. Or swans. Swans are really mean. Mm. Geese. Have you ever come Canadian fa- geese. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those dang Canadians. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the so Canadians good. are mean. <laughs> Don't you know? They're known for that. Don't you know? <laughs> I will Don't say Canadian geese. That's a good one. Because, like... Which one? Canadian, Canadian geese? geese. Mm. Yeah, when you're... I'm We're on attacking the golf Canadians course. today, guys. Yeah, no, it's not about that. Geese in general. There we go. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, on the golf course. If you ever hit a oh, ball and like there's a herd of them, I don't know what do you, you call them? A flock, a herd, a bunch of them? A murder. A murder. A murder. They hiss at you. They do hiss. Oh at you. my word, they're and terrifying. They poop everywhere. Yeah. What if that's like how they communicate love? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. No. I'm just saying we don't know what's going mm. on in their brain. I will. That's true. They're you brain. can go cuddle yeah. one next time and true. be like, oh, here, here, and let me know how that goes for you. For a church video. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, I think my answer would be donkeys. Oh. Do you need to say anything else? Mm-hmm. I would like you to say more. Nicely done. Why, why is that? <laughs> <laughs> they are, they're hard to move. They are. They're stubborn. Oh, sure, yeah. So stubborn. stubborn. As a mule. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are donkeys? Never mind. Doesn't they're matter. cute. They're cute. Are they? Yeah. I they're- think so. Does anyone think like donkeys are cute? Thank oh, my you. Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah You're not, wrong. There's three people. <laughs> yeah. Three I'm people. not a race. <laughs> I am not alone. <laughs> Just never heard that Wait, in a phrase. I also you know, want to, the other question cute. was, is cereal soup? I'm actually, what are we, what do you think? No. Gosh, it is. It totally is soup, guys. <laughs> it's submerged in milk. Oh, and for, but yeah. Well, but for you, you, you freaking leave it in the fridge because you're crazy. Absolutely. He likes soggy cereal. See? So, hold up. Cacophonous ew. Thank hold up. you. Cacophonous. Cereal, it works best if it's like porridge. Okay? Like oatmeal. Like if you let oatmeal sit for a couple days, that's where cereal oh. starts to be good. Uh, as a kid, I, I would... I feel like uh, I just outed you for po- Yeah, somehow. pour a Sorry. bowl of cereal... Before school, put it in the fridge. <gasps> Let it sit all no. day. You would do here's, this? Here's the thing. Captain Crunch is my favorite. It also wounds you. It if you take a bite right away, like if it does not get soft at all, it will cut the roof of your mouth. And you're, there's not much skin up there, okay? It hurts. <laughs> so you leave it in the fridge all day. You come back to that thing and you have, yeah. Oh. No. That no. is soup, guys. Does that is agree? soup. That, yeah. Because yeah, that, that that's soup. nasty. That is soup. <laughs> I think I think I like the Feel answer like where alone. cereal. Yeah. I, <laughs> anybody, anybody else with me yeah. on this one? <laughs> Literally anyone. Any. Soggy not cereal. I feel like not for our anyone. audience, we need to point out where the trash cans are after that <laughs> conversation. <laughs> like, oh. I don't wow. feel community. The, the worst is fruity pebbles. You got to eat that. Oh, you got to eat that so fast. fast. Yes, it is Otherwise, true. It is yeah. 
It is. True. it is true. Or just a small bowl so you can get crunchy every time. Such great porridge. Yeah. Ew. Gross. <laughs> um, well, on that note, let's dive back right. in. Hey, back to Axe. fan. Back to Axe. <laughs> Thanks for the question. Thank you for the questions. Appreciate it. Um, How do we land the plane? Yes. Land the plane. How do we well, land it? We're doing a so can what. I, yeah, can I share with like what stood out to me the most out of this passage? Absolutely. Is that is that a good plane yes, landing? Absolutely. Is that allowed? Is that allowed? Need permission? <laughs> okay, cool. Just got to make sure I have permission. Uh, so Peter goes into this whole thing about like because of Jesus we were able to heal the guy, and then in like the next few verses after that he continues talking to them and he talks about the prophets, and then in 19 he gets like he does a like, a full blown gospel presentation essentially where he's got all these Jewish people gathered around him. They're at the temple, the outer courts, and he's surrounded. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And so he kind of is like, because of Jesus, you need to now take some action. You need to repent. You need to repent of your sins. And what I love, though, is that's not the end of the verse. This next part is what really, really stood out to me. He tells him to repent, and then he says, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I love that part. Like, I bolded it and highlighted it. Because for me, it stood out so much that it wasn't just about like, hey, all of you, repent of your sins because you are mess-ups, you're screw-ups, you need to repent. Right. It really, the emphasis on this is that because you need to repent because the God wants to give you refreshment. He wants to restore your soul. He wants to give you this peace. And I don't know about you guys, but like right now, I am just tired. Mm. And it's not so much that I'm like, oh, I could sleep. Like, yes, but I'm beyond just physically tired. I am, like my soul just feels tired. But I think a part of that is just the world we've been living in the last few years. Mm. And it's just everywhere. And I just like, I don't know, I, I'm just wore out. And it's a reminder for me in reading this, what stood out was like, man, like, God wants to give me refreshment. He doesn't want me tackling all these, like, hard things. And it's not that we, like, go hide under a rock, but it's this reminder of if I'm really focusing on Jesus and Jesus alone and the power of Jesus, he's going to give me refreshment and restore my soul. And, like, wow, what an incredible thing to sit in, that peace and that refreshment that God wants to give. I just love that. Yeah, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I wrote in some of my notes as we were preparing, where did it go? Oh, um, not only does faith in Jesus wash away sins, but also brings us refreshment. We're not left to toil in darkness after sin has been forgiven. Rather, we're called into holy rest. And I think that this rest, like that is this idea of like shalom, this idea of like that that peace that we really have and and it i feel like lately i've just like been starting to endeavor into this existence or like the the reality of that truth and like stepping into like oh oh there is like i'm good i didn't know i was good but i i'm good and um not in the sense of like circumstances are perfect but in the sense of like circumstances could be absolutely awful, but I'm still good. It's just, it's like newfangled, it's this newfangled gospel thing. <laughs> it's just, it's just really interesting to, to think that like, I'm 28 years old, I grew up in the church, my dad was a pastor, and I've never really experienced this kind of peace. It's Praise wild. God. I agree. Praise, Praise God, God indeed, but mm -hmm. absolutely wild. <laughs> I think what stands out, Courtney, when you were sharing, and this is the second time we've been doing this. So yeah. we did plan some things, and I love the statement. But what takes my breath away in that statement is the fact that when you repent and ask for forgiveness, there's a vulnerability. There's an exposure. We're exposed in that moment. In a very, like we can even see it in Isaiah, when Isaiah is in the presence of God in the book of Isaiah, and it's woe is me. Like this moment when we're face to face with God and what we've done wrong, there's an exposure and we feel stripped away. And in that, that very moment, God gives us rest. 
the very moment we would least expect it, mm. the very moment we don't deserve it, you know, the, the, the moment when we are sitting in the darkness or in all the mess, there's a, a presence that comes only from our God that brings rest. That takes my breath away. That gives me a reason to worship. That's what sustains me, knowing that we can go to those places where I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed. I, I, I can't even dream of another person even knowing. And in those moments, Jesus says, have rest. Mm. Have rest. You're in good hands. Like, that's truly what, what Acts is about. And, and it's, it's allowing us to see even a closer glimpse of that in the way Jesus works. When we have a world that really turns that around, there, like in this world, it's all about what we can do and produce. And if we are the best yeah. or the smartest, I mean, it's all about up and to the right. Like no matter what, we have to succeed. We have to find a way. No matter what, it's dependent on us. No, ma- mm. no, I mean, th- no wonder we're exhausted. <laughs> no wonder. It's true. And the message of Jesus, when it all comes down to it, is rest. I love to like, even even looking back in the passage, Peter goes into the all the prophets and all the Old Testament and all the things that they they know. Everything is pointing back to Jesus, which is pointing back to this rest. So like we can see the concept of shalom and the concept of rest through the entire Bible, through the entire, even through the entire creation. Like from the beginning, God rested on the seventh day. Like y'all need a Sabbath. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> well, we all need a sound. But yeah, I think that's that's really beautiful. Yeah, that's my uh, so what as well is uh, is rest. You know, we, we forget Jesus says his yoke, his his weight, the yeah. thing that he puts on you is light and easy. Uh, he says, you know, all who are weary, come to me, and I'll give you rest. Not not a to do list. Yeah. Not more things you need to get done and accomplish. It is rest that he gives you within your shame, like Nate was saying. It's, it's rest that he replaces it with, not a to-do list. So that's beautiful, and that's certainly my so what from this, uh, from this passage. That's really great. Any last final comments, thoughts, concerns? Thanks for putting up with us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for we being here. We hope uh, we get you to smile and laugh every once in a while, because, I mean, if you can't laugh at yourself, what's the point, mm, right? It's true. It is no? very true. Okay. No. Two people. No, I'm with people. you. <laughs> I'm with you. I got you. Um, well, podcast listeners, thank you for joining us. We are glad you decided to join us for this hour or so. Um, we'll be back next week with regular. We'll have a conversation. Oh, who is it? I don't remember who we're talking with, but next week, we'll be on the lookout for that. And go in grace and peace, beloved. Yeah.